liftoff and the clock has started. This is 20 minutes you'll never get back. That was Marcella from Maitencillo, Chile. I hope I pronounced that right, Marcella. Maitencillo. Anyway, that's another dramatic introduction. First we had Tony, and now Marcella. And uh, you Chileans, you guys know how to bring the mystery and dramatics to the show. <laughs> then I start talking and it all goes to hell. I'm not sure what's really happening in, in Chile, but based on the number of downloads from yesterday, and so, something's going on there. Either you guys really like the show or you're collecting evidence. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know which it is, but anyway... Thank you very much for listening, and uh, thanks to Marcella, our announcer for today. And if my voice sounds different, it's because I'm recording uh, this episode at uh, like 6 o'clock in the morning because it's like a 1,000 degrees here uh, in Southern California. So I need to get this done before I completely evaporate or melt. It's, it's one or the other. Real quickly, the 50 states update, uh, nothing's changed. Sorry, but I'm going to focus on Vermont, and that's because I've got listeners to the north in Montreal, to the west in New York, to the south in Massachusetts, and to the east in New Hampshire. So, Vermont, we have you surrounded. Come on, folks. This is your challenge, too. we got to get all 50. Again, I don't know why, but we're so close. Vermont, why won't you listen? Okay, let's get going. So coming up here shortly is 4th of July. And it's going to be 4th of July for the entire world. But here in the United States, it's also our Independence Day. Now, if you don't know, here's a brief history of Independence Day. All right. You see, here in the United States, we celebrate what went down with England in the late 1700s. We got into this really big fight with the British. Uh, there was a lot of shooting. And England gave up. And then we formed our own country. The end. <laughs> How's that for a brief history? So how do we celebrate? Well, we celebrate with all kinds of car sales uh, and mattress sales. Apparently, that's really big for Independence Day. Family and friends get together, and generally speaking, there's a lot of beer bottle opening. And then as the uh, day turns to night, we start setting things on fire, igniting things that end up being uh, showers, a little sparkles, or huge, gigantic sky explosions, some legal and some not. And, of course, the 4th of July would not be the 4th of July without huge clouds of barbecue smoke hovering all the cities and towns in the land. So, this episode is dedicated to the 245th birthday of the United States and its barbecues. Now, I do know how to cook a burger, but not much about how barbecuing came to be. That is, until I did some research, you know, so you didn't have to. Let's get the grill going. When we talk about outdoor cooking, you might think you're barbecuing, but are you really? Now, here's the definitions you need to know. First, grilling. This is what most people do in their backyards. This is also what most of us mean when we say barbecue. Grilling is cooking foods hot and fast, usually at temperatures of 500 to 550 degrees Fahrenheit, or maybe even higher. It's usually done over direct heat, meat like steaks, seafood, hamburgers, hot dogs. They're all great for grilling. A lot of vegetables and fruit can be also grilled. Now, barbecuing is cooking foods low and slow. Barbecuing is usually used for cuts of meat like ribs or tri-tip or beef brisket, sometimes chicken or turkey. These types of meats tend to be tougher, and they need the low, slow heat of a barbecue in order to get them good and tender. Barbecued food is cooked over very low heat and for a very long time, like hours or sometimes all day. Barbecuing is often done with indirect heat, where the heat source is connected to the chamber where the meat is, and the meat is not directly over the flames like they are on a grill. 
charcoal or wood are commonly used as a heat source for a barbecue, and they give off different kinds of smoky flavors that the meat can absorb. So there you go. If you're cooking up hamburgers for your 4th of July party, you're grilling. You're not barbecuing. And if you got up at 4 a.m. to get those ribs cooking to be done by 4 or 5 p.m., you're barbecuing. All right. So how did this all start? Well, obviously, we can go all the way back to Fred Flintstone's time. Fred did not have the Charm Glow 5004 burner grill. He barely had fire. But Fred and company, they were hungry. So they got some uh, some sticks put some chunks of meat on it, and they started a fire, and outdoor cooking was born. Okay, jumping ahead to some more relevant times, the history of barbecue has its roots founded in a Caribbean cooking style. The first indigenous tribes that Columbus encountered on Hispaniola had developed a unique method of cooking their meat over an indirect flame. They created a large frame of sorts that kind of straddled the fire, and they used uh, green wood to keep the fire, and frankly the wood, from burning. The local tribes called this kind of cooking barabiku, but when the conquistadors heard the word, they mispronounced it and they said, ah, barbacoa. <laughs> so barbacoa eventually became barbecue. In 1540, the Spanish explorers turned their expeditions north and explorer Hernando de Soda, he watched members of the Chickasaw tribe cook a feast of pork over the barbacoa. Eventually, the technique made its way into the colonies, traveling as far up as Virginia. Now, as Britain's North American colonies grew in the second half of the 18th century, barbecues appear to have become more common, not just among the slaves brought over from the Caribbean, but also among the colonial elites. During the westward expansion, the American settlers had gained a better understanding of barbecuing from the local tribes they encountered, and by time of the Texas annexation in 1845, the smell of barbecued meat had become a pretty familiar feature across pioneer towns. Now, the barbecue evolved kind of in step with the frontier. At the same time the railroads spread west, immigration into the U.S. picked up its pace. A particularly large number of people arrived from Eastern and Central Europe, and this revolutionized barbecue. All right, settling throughout Texas and the Midwest, Germans, Russians, Poles, and Czechs each brought with them their own traditions of smoking meat and their own ideas about how barbecuing should be done. By the beginning of the 20th century, these influences had led to the emergence of different varieties, some of which still survive today. So speaking of those varieties, before you fire up your cue, Let's learn about the four main regional styles that characterize barbecue in the United States, Kansas City, Memphis, Carolina, and Texas. Okay, Carolina purists say to be real barbecue, the meat must be exclusively pork. And that's because the original barbecuers of the southern colonies depended on the cheap, low-maintenance nature of pig farming. The pigs were much leaner, leading southerners to use the slow and low nature of barbecue to tenderize the meat. During the pre-Civil War years, Southerners' dependence on this kind of cheap food supply eventually became a point of patriotism, and Southerners took great care raising their pigs, refusing to export their meat to the northern states. That's just not nice. But the story of the South's insistence on pork doesn't explain the variations between the barbecue styles. To answer this question, and you didn't even know you had a question, did you? We need to look uh, beyond the borders of America to the influence that the colonial immigrants had on the flavor and preparation of the meat. The technique of adding sauce to the meat as it cooks came from the British colonists who incorporated the idea of basting to preserve the juices within the meat with the Caribbean barbecue technique. 
North Carolina's vinegar-based sauces are also a remnant of the Britain's penchant for a tart sauce. In South Carolina, which housed a large population of the French and German immigrants, a mustard-based sauce was born. Again, a reflection of the immigrant population's traditional preferences. Mustard has long been a fixture in both countries' cuisines. From Carolina barbecue, the trend moved westward, eventually entering Texas. German immigrants in Texas had the land to cultivate cattle, and it wasn't long before Texans were applying the Carolina techniques to a different kind of animal entirely. In Memphis, the sweet tomato-based barbecue sauce was born from the city's status as a popular port along the Mississippi River. Memphis residents could easily obtain a variety of goods, including molasses, which provided the region's sweet barbecue taste. I do love a Memphis-style barbecue sauce, (laughs) but that's just my opinion. Yours could be different. Kansas City barbecue is the last of America's four main barbecue styles, and it was born in the early 1900s when a Memphis-born man by the name of Henry Perry settled in Kansas City. He opened a barbecue restaurant and followed the style of his Memphis roots using the sweet and spicy barbecue sauce. However, he didn't adhere to the stringent requirements that called for pork-only barbecue style, and he allowed beef and other meats to be sold as well. Attaboy, Henry. You be you. Don't let anybody else tell you what you can and can't barbecue. And since that time, barbecuing or even grilling really hasn't changed that much over the years. To this day, uh, many barbecue lovers looking to enjoy the flavors of America's four barbecue styles make the pilgrimage to the barbecue belt region. You can actually find travel routes that have been suggested for barbecuing fans looking to chow down on meat cooked low and slow. Some of these ultimate barbecue road trips span over 5,000 miles and include 60 of the country's best examples of barbecue. Is anybody else getting hungry or is it just me? (laughs) I'm really really hungry now. Uh, It's time for a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about gas versus charcoal. What a controversy this is. It might might as well be about uh, real or fake Christmas trees. (laughs) So don't go away. When I come back, I'll have the information for you. I'll be right back. And now a message from our sponsor. Ladies, tired of drying your hair with the same old vacuum cleaner? Try Avon Shade Brand New Beauty Locks Portable Hair Dryer. It's smaller, it's faster, it's guaranteed to give you the hair you've always wanted in half the time. Beauty Locks is delicate and dainty just like you. The dryer weighs only a pound and easily fits in your hand. Now that's beauty and convenience. With a speedy motor that will dry your hair in as little as 25 minutes, you can get gorgeous hair without falling behind schedule. Don't worry about the little ones or that pie in the oven. Thanks to an extra-long extension cord, you can move around while primping your locks. Forget those long trips to the salon and no more waiting for hours under monster machines. Alvanche gives you an easy and speedy hairdo that will blow your man away. Get it now at your nearest Macy's. There are, there are so many things, so many questions about that commercial, and so many things that are so wrong. Uh, All right, let's get back to the show, gas versus charcoal. Now, you probably have your own preference. You may have both. You may have neither. It's okay. But I'm going to tell you the difference between the two is to help you make a decision and which is best. Uh Uh-oh. Well, everybody can just calm down. They're the same, okay? One may be better for one style of cooking, the other for a different style, but 
all in all, they cook meat. They're the same, okay? Serious Eats, that's a, an online kind of thing. They did some comparisons between the two, and I'm going to summarize those as best I can. And we'll start with the price. Well, you know, a basic Weber kettle, that whole round spaceship-looking thing, that's going to cost you around 100 bucks. You could pay more if you want some uh, other options, but for the most part, you don't need that. So they're 99 bucks. A gas grill, on the other hand, is going to cost you a whole lot more. You, you can get the cheap ones outside of those big uh, home stores, you know, the orange one or the blue one. But they're not going to last very long because they're not built very well. A solid grill that's built to last is going to cost you a few hundred bucks. So, you know, we'll put the check in the charcoal column just in terms of price. Now, the next is flavor. It's pretty easy to figure out that a fuel source like a, a wood or charcoal is going to produce more smoke and therefore more grill flavor. But side-by-side -side testing says that's not necessarily the case. Propane or natural gas, that burns relatively clean. You know, the byproducts of their combustion are mostly just water vapor and carbon dioxide. Charcoal, on the other hand, produces a whole bunch of other molecules that land on your food to flavor it. In addition, the juices drip onto the hot grill or coals and they burn up, creating some new aromas that can get back onto your food as it cooks. Now, this happens whether you use uh, charcoal or gas. For a short cook, high heat foods like steaks or burgers, you won't be able to tell the difference between a burger cooked on a gas versus one cooked on charcoal. But for long cooking foods cooked via indirect heat, like ribs or brisket and other types of barbecue, you're going to get noticeably smokier flavor in foods that are cooked over charcoal. So we'll put a check in that column if you're checking columns. All right, the next thing to compare is smoking. Now, as wood smolders, the smoke vapor makes its way over to the meat. It condenses on the relatively cool surface of the meat, forming teeny tiny little droplets of water that still pack with the flavor compounds. That water evaporates once again, this time leaving the smoke flavor behind in a dark brownish residue, hence your smoking. To smoke on a charcoal grill, all you have to do is toss chunks of wood directly on the coals. With a gas grill, you need to put them in a little foil packet and put it below the burners, kind of close to the flames. To allow the smoke to really work the magic, you need to keep the meat and smoke source in a chamber that's open enough to allow combustion of the wood, yet close enough so that the smoke is trapped together with the food. This is where one of the big differences between charcoal and gas grills come into play. All right, most charcoal grills can seal up pretty tightly. You close the bottom and the top vents, put on the lid, and you've created an environment that's going to greatly restrict the movement of air and the smoke in and out. On a gas grill, on the other hand, it doesn't seal particularly well. And that's by design, and it's intended as a safety measure. You know, if the fire were to go out on a gas grill, the gas is going to keep pumping into the, into that whole chamber. And all it would take was a tiny spark and kaboom. So that's the reason a gas grill is far more open and vented. So because of that, getting smoke flavor under your meat, even if you're cooking a long time with a whole bunch of wood in a gas grill, it's more difficult because the smoke just doesn't stay in there. So we're going to give the point to charcoal on that one. Is anybody keeping score on the charcoal versus gas? I think we've given like 538 points to charcoal and nothing for gas so far. But if you love cooking with gas, relax. There's some points coming for you, I promise. Okay. The next category is temperature extremes. Now, we're going to get to the real meat of the matter. <laughs> Did you like that pun? <laughs> oh, I amused myself. All right. The maximum and minimum temperatures. A cold beats out gas at both extremes. 
Simply put, charcoal sears faster and hotter than gas, but it's important to note that searing with high heat always isn't everything. At the other end of the spectrum, charcoal also beats out gas. The low end of the range of a gas grill is limited by the size of the flame it can be created. Too low, it just goes out. With charcoal, there's no limit to how slowly you can burn the fuel, so another point goes to charcoal. Heat management. Uh, gas grills do more of their heating through conduction via the grill bars than charcoal grills, which cope mostly with radiation. With a charcoal grill, closing the lid will cut off the oxygen flow, effectively stifling the flame and lowering the heat, while leaving it open will maximize oxygen flow to your fuel and get a hotter burn. With a gas grill, the exact opposite happens. Closing the lid will not affect the rate at which your gas flame burns, but it will prevent excessive heat from escaping to the atmosphere and making the grill hotter. So long story short here, charcoal grill, closing a lid, lowers the heat. Gas grill, closing a lid, raises the heat. I'm going to give a tie to this, all right? See gas, you're starting to make a comeback here. It's now a, that was a tie point. The next category comparison is temperature control. Now, controlling the temperature on a charcoal grill is usually pretty difficult. Charcoal briquettes are you know, relatively consistent, but the way you stack them or arrange them isn't at all. And hardwood is pretty inconsistent generally because some large pieces that burn moderately fast, some small pieces will burn really, really fast, and tiny dust pieces will actually smother and put out your fire. Another thing to consider with a charcoal grill is that depends on how windy the day is. You know, if your vents are open too much, it's going to affect the burn. Also, for a long cook, say a 6 to 10 hour brisket, the coals are going to need regular topping off and monitoring and your heat's going to fluctuate too much. A gas grill has none of these problems. You get your gas burner set to the right level, check the temperature is holding steady, and then walk away. There. That's it. Completely consistent until you come back or the fuel runs out like it usually does for me. Fill your tanks first, Doug. Fill your tanks first. Uh, that kind of set it and forget it convenience is perfect for ribs and briskets, giving you more time to just hang around and have a beer or two or three. So the point for temperature control goes to gas. Congratulations, gas. Fire up and cool down times. This was pretty obvious. Gas grill, turn it on. It's hot. When you're done, turn it off. It cools down. Charcoal, on the other hand, that's a whole different animal. You stack the bricks, you light them up, and you got to wait 30 minutes for them to get white. And hopefully the fire doesn't go out in the meantime. So I'm just going to give this one to gas. So stop talking about it. The last category is cleanup. Now, this is a no-brainer. You know, charcoal grills are going to leave that pile of ash you have to deal with. The Weber kettles have that little tiny uh, flying saucer-like ash collection tray hanging below the grill that just ends up leaving your deck uh, and yard covered with ashes at the slightest breeze. And with a gas grill, it's just, you know, maybe clean the grate. Uh, my dad said never do that because, son, that's where all the flavor is. <laughs> you know what? He was right. So at the end of the day, in the great gas versus charcoal debate, you know which one's the winner. That's right. They're both. It depends what kind of cooking you want to do. If you want a fast, fast grill for burgers and hot dogs, you get charcoal. Or you can do it on a gas grill. If you want a much longer cook for briskets, you may want to consider a charcoal one and use the smoke to enhance the flavor of the meat. So it, it just depends on how you want to cook. Doug's advice, if you have a gas grill, get a Weber. And if you have a Weber, get a gas grill. There. <laughs> it's just that easy. 20 minutes to get to that point. 
Oh my God. All right, that's going to do it. What did we learn today? Well, we learned that Doug is completely capable of wasting 20 minutes. We learned that Henry Perry in Kansas City was a rebel. Pork and beef. You go, Henry. And we learned that Barabiku became Barbacoa that became Barbecue. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning and listening. As always, I do appreciate it. I will talk to you next time on the 50th episode of 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com, and uh, you can... Uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take, take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And all, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye.